always on a Sunday. And never on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> That's our goal. I'm not going to well, use... I would be happy to try it on Monday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with everything going on this week, current events yes. as they are, and our continued sadness and dismay at what's happening in Ukraine... I thought we could do some fun things to kind of take our minds off of it for a few minutes. Oh, well, I'm up for that. Are you? I try to be. <laughs> I try to be. If you try, you will succeed. That's the way I feel. My mother always used to say, try, try again. <laughs> if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Keep trying. That that goes from Patsy Sue Surgeon to the world. That's right. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. You know what else your mother always says? What's that? Whenever we leave her house, or it doesn't even matter if we're just going down to the park or wherever we're going, <laughs> right, what does right. she always say? Have fun, but be safe. <laughs> exactly. It's so cute. Yeah, she also had, She. I should probably write a book about all of Patsy Sue's sayings. Because another one that just always used to delight me when she would say it, and she didn't say it very often, but she said, you know, you should always do good to those who hate you. Really? And I'd say, why? And she'd say, because in the Bible it says it heaps coals of fire upon their head. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're right, so I'll try it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right, well, I thought we could play a little trivia game. Oh, no. You know, I don't like trivia since they got out of that uh, baby boomer version. You know, all these oh, other... Oh, you mean Trivial Pursuit? Yeah, yeah, Trivial Pursuit. You're telling me you'd be really bad at the 80s version. Yes, I worked to the 80s. I didn't have time for trivia. <laughs> Anything trivial. All right, well, listen, I've got this. I think this is going to be good for you. So this is great soul groups of the 60s. Oh, well, you know, there's a story here for you. I should warn you, but maybe you want the story afterwards. Well, you can tell the story now if you're compelled. Well, this is not bragging. This, <laughs> As Grandpa McCoy used to say, no brag, just fact. But when I worked in Chicago, I had a lot of friends that I worked with that were African-American. And periodically, there would be a song partially sung or a little bit on somebody's radio. And somebody would say, yeah, what was that song? And I always knew the answer. And I developed a reputation among some of them that I was the authority, the go-to authority on soul music. It was pretty funny. Because here I am, this white kid from rural Michigan, and I knew more about the music than they seemed to, at least the trivial stuff. And it's because I grew up craving the latest Motown music, and, and all music. You know, once the Beatles hit, I was into music. So from about 12 years on, I'm totally into the music and living close to Detroit. That's all we heard was Bob Seger and Motown, right? So at a certain stage, one of my colleagues who sat in the cube on the other side of me, if we both stood up, we could see each other, just the tops of our heads. But uh, Roland came to me one day, he says, Dennis, you know a lot of 
Motown music. Do you know, do you remember this particular song? And I said, oh, yeah, I know that song. He said, do you know who sang it? And I said, yeah, I know who sang it. And he said, you wouldn't happen to know where I could get a copy of the music. I said, well, I've got a copy of it. I'd be happy to put it on a cassette tape for you. He said, you would? I said, sure. I said, what other kind of music do you want? Because I had 90-minute cassettes and Roland said, well, anything that's kind of of that era. So I put together a, a quick cassette, 90 minutes of soul music from about that time period. And it wasn't until weeks later that Roland came by and told me what a hit that was. And everybody wanted to know who I was because he took that 90-minute cassette to his parents' 50th wedding anniversary and he said it was entertainment for the whole occasion he said everybody just had a great time so it was just really rewarding to me uh, just a couple of years after that that another co-worker came up and said hey my parents are having a wedding anniversary party could you do a tape for us mm-hmm. so well who's your favorite and they said johnny mathis i said i got just the collection for you so i uh i had a couple of books that i bought in that 80s 90s time period that was all about the era up to the beatles and the period immediately after the beatles and so i tried to collect every song that was in those two encyclopedias I didn't succeed, but now you can get it all on the internet, I'm sure. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, you have tons of music, tons of music anyways. You've got it on CDs, albums, you've got it digitally on your computer. I never knew anybody that had as much music as you. Well, I ran into a fellow in the late 90s in Wisconsin who beat me at that collector's game. He had the audacity to top me by several times because he had a whole room of his house where I had hundreds of albums and CDs. He had tens of thousands and he used to be a DJ before he came to work for our company and he had a whole room of his house. It was nothing but racks of records, the vinyl stuff. and Cool. Yeah. All right, well, let's get on to this. So, great oh. soul groups of the 60s. Great okay? soul groups. Are we sticking just to Motown or a little Well, it, it says, or? well, that it just says great soul groups. I'm going to have to just read it. Okay, so okay. the first question well, is, the San Francisco group was unique, multiracial, with male and female musicians. They broke new ground with hits like yeah, Hot Fun yeah. in the Summertime. <laughs> And everyday people. Yeah, that's Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, God, you yes. Gotta, you got to have I a love tougher them. one than that. I love oh, I them. Too. We've seen them downtown Detroit. Yeah, I, minus Sly. I danced the whole time. Minus Sly. It's sad what happened to him, but yeah, what a great group. Great. They were absolutely groundbreaking. Yep. And they were featured in that documentary that we watched that yeah. soul summer documentary yeah. that we watched from summer the part summer of soul documentary when was yeah, that highly recommend it was that in the 60s that was the same summer as woodstock so that was a summer of 68 and 69 in new york city at central park Yeah, right around that same that's time. a great documentary no kidding okay so here's another question 
This group performed together from the early 60s. They were a Motown act, probably the original boy band that are still popular today with young girls. Their earliest hits included ABC and The Love You Save. Oh, stop. The stop. lead singer went stop. on to tremendous success stop. as stop. a solo the Jackson act. 5. Woo! ABC. I, I never Talk thought about of them one, as, two, I know three. that was their label, do, but do, do, I didn't do, think of do, them do. as Motown because they were from Gary, Indiana. Well, then they were maybe more of a Chicago sound. Well, in later years, their music did sound a lot like Chicago music to me. Mm-hmm. But I did not like the Jackson 5 for one reason only, is I thought it was child abuse for Michael Jackson at such a tender age to be out there acting and... Singing songs about singing. concepts you probably didn't know anything about, like yeah. love and relationships yeah, and all that. Yeah, it just okay. was tough. All right, let's go on to the next question, number three. Okay. They were one of the best and most successful Motown girl groups. Their best-known songs included Dancing in the Street and Heat Wave. Well, that's Martha and the Vandellas. Woo hoo hoo! And they broke up in 1972. So, one of the things that is a tidbit of trivia that one of the Vandellas worked in the same company that I did after really? she graduated from regular performing and before she went out on oldies tours, she used to work for Ameritech. Wow! In Detroit. Cool. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. This group's first number one recording was the 1960 hit Shop Around, and their signature song was Ooh, Baby, Baby. This Motown <laughs> act consisted of a charismatic lead singer and four backup singers, one of them a woman. Who yeah. were they? Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. That's interesting, because I think the Platters also had a woman in they the backup. Did. So it's kind of cool. Well, and one of the interesting things about the Miracles is they started out with the uh, girl in the Miracles was uh, romantically involved and I think ultimately married Smokey. And she's still a very successful woman in the music business, though they've long ago divorced. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so this was the premier girl group, oh. the absolute queens of Motown. <laughs> the lead singer was a diva with oh, charisma. It's too easy. I thought you said this was trivia. Their list of hits is a long one. Where did our love go? Baby love and come see about me. Come yeah, where see did our about love go? me. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> what That'd group? have to be the Supreme. Oh my gosh! Yeah, formerly known as the Primettes. You know what I? You know what song I love is the. I, and this isn't. This probably is not the Supremes. But when Diana Ross sings, "Ain't No Mountain High Enough," oh, I just love that version from her. Well, I know it's not the original, but I just love her version of it. The problem that Dennis had with it is she was singing, "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." As she was breaking up with, and this was released by the Supremes originally. The Supremes sang it, but it was Diana Ross singing that she's going to overcome any obstacle to stay together with you and bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyways. She ditched them 
Like they were on fire. Okay, now here's one. Question number six. This band is one of my personal favorites. Their sound consisted of the leader's sax along with drums, guitar, and keyboard. Their signature song was Shotgun, followed by several other hits including What Does It Take to Win Your Love? Who are they? That'd be Junior Walker and the All-Stars. That's right. You're smart, Denbo. Okay, here's another one. This soul act consisted of two men with southern and gospel roots. They are probably best known for their great song, Hold On, I'm Coming, recorded in 1966. That's what she said. (laughs) And for their fantastic live performance. Sam and Dave. Yep. (laughs) Sam and Dave. Okay, number eight. Does I Can't Help Myself, Sugar Pie, Honey Bunch ring a bell? They were a quartet, Levi Stubbs, Abdul Fakir, Ronaldo Benson, and Lawrence Payton. That would have to be my favorite group, the most distinctive Motown group, according to Dennis Michael Surgeon, The Four Tops. The Four Tops. And the the highlight of all of my opportunities was listening to The Four Tops in Indiana with you. Oh, gosh, yeah. We went to a concert there. It was The Temptations and The Four Tops. That was was a great show. We didn't sit down the whole time. We no. like ran to the front. We were right at the at their feet. We 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 went. We just ran down the hill, and we're right in front the entire time. It was so much yeah, fun. It was great. Okay, number nine. This group consisted of a great lead vocalist and three backup singers. They became a big success after joining up with Barry Gordy at Motown Records in the late '60s. One of their best, "Midnight Train to Georgia" from 1973. Oh, that would be Gladys Knight and the Pips. Oh, God, that's such a great group, too. Yeah, yeah. And I very, love Gladys. Very recently, I heard on the Sirius XM on the Beatles channel, mm-hmm. they had a little thing about how the Beatles were influenced by Motown music, and they had an early Gladys song that was just fabulous. And then they played the Beatles song that it inspired, and I forgot all about the Beatles song. I was so inspired by Gladys's performance, and of course the Pips, her brother, and others. All right, here's the last question, number 10. This great group was among the most influential in the soul R&B genre. They came from Detroit, as did so many other artists of that time. They were famous for their slick dance moves and fine suits, as well as their distinct sound. Their number one hit was My Girl. Well, that'd be The Temptations. Mm -hmm. And they did have some distinctive sounds because of their lead singers. Um, And and some of the sad things that happened to them afterwards. It just, they had some fabulous vocalists that were part of that group. Awesome, Denbo. Well, you got a 10 out of 10. Well... It's a lifetime away, but I still love Motown music. Oh, yeah, for sure. What's your favorite Motown song? Oh, wow. Maybe there too, isn't just one. But. Yeah, that's just, there's too many to choose from. If I say put on a Motown song, what song would you put on right now? I don't know. I, I think about the ones that... Probably the one that really strikes me the most when I hear it on the radio, and why I don't know, was Walk Away Renee. 
How does that one go? I don't even know if I know it. Just walk away, Renee. Oh. And I don't remember the rest yeah, of the yeah, words, yeah, but yeah, you yeah. know the now tune. Now I got the tune, yeah. Yeah, the four tops. And they had several others that were, you know, really, at that time period, I was learning to drive or getting to drive. And so uh, and I spent a lot of time walking home from school, listening to my little portable radio. I think we might have talked about when I got that for Christmas one year. So <clears throat> it was a time period when I was really zeroed in on music. What about the song um, by the originals that we both love? Oh, yeah. Talk, talk about that song, like how surprised you were that I knew that song. Well, I'm, I'm not sure I was the one who was most surprised, but you had, um, I thought it was Michael, Michael Bolton. Michael you Mc said it was oh, no, no, I have zero Mike. Just make it clear, I have zero Michael Bolton in my collection. <laughs> I have like real singers in my collection. and okay, like, so, It was Michael McDonald. So it, was a solo, it was a solo album. Uh, you were listening to... Ooh. No, that's baby, baby. This, this was baby, baby. I'm for real. Baby, I'm for real. Yeah, and and Michael I, McDonald was singing it. And you were, we were listening. listening. We were listening mm -hmm. to it, and I started to sing the words in tune, which I don't get to do very often yeah, anymore. That but was I was weird. I was singing the tune, and you said, "Do you have this album?" I said, "No." You said, I said, I have it on my, the originals. And you said, who are the originals? I said, the originals. <laughs> That's the name of the group. <laughs> I remember that. And that was, they were from like 1969 or 70. They were right at the tail end of the really best Motown music. Everything, you know, once they moved out to California was, from my perspective, pretty much crap. But this was like the best vocals. I mean, they were, dare I say, as good as the Four Tops or the Temptations, but they came too late to be part of that big wave. And they were kind of the milestone of everybody was moving to California. But the originals were fabulous. I knew the words and it very much impressed you. Oh, I know. I was like, <laughs> and then you're like, I just remember like going, what do you mean the originals? Like, the original what? You're like the group called the originals. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I had no idea. They also It's kind of like now when young kids hear a song. Yeah. You know, like, you know, they're hearing remakes from different people like Anderson Pack and uh, Bruno Mars have put out an album with a bunch of covers of music that was done a long time ago. And yeah. so for some of these young kids, it's the first time they're hearing it. But for us, we're like, oh yeah, we know that song or whatever. Yeah. So that was my experience when you started singing that song. Um, when Michael, we were listening to Michael McDonald and I'm like, how do you know this song? You don't even listen to Michael McDonald. So it was, yeah, that was good, Dumbo. Well, the, the originals also had another really great song called The Bells. Mm -hmm. And the part about it that I thought was so cool was their vocals mixed with just a little chime that was played in the music. It just... There were always these really interesting things that the Motown musicians did that really made each song stand out. And, uh, you know, like Dancing in the Streets was another one that was really remarkable. Other groups did that 
song, but I always appreciated theirs because it not only kind of pulled the trigger on some of this youth movement. I mean, kids that were black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever, were just kids that related to each other through the music. And I think it was like ninth or 10th grade, that was the theme of our float for homecoming was dancing in the streets. Oh, that'd be a great theme. Yeah, we had a float made up to look like a street with everybody on it dancing. It was pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, you can't <laughs> do a lot with that I remember making floats in high school. That was a huge thing. Oh, yeah. Every class, <laughs> freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, everybody... Somebody who knew somebody with a trailer, and you spent weekends. It was a farm trailer, and we lived in farm country, yeah. so it was easy to come by. But we would spend weekends working on that float and go in shifts. And I remember somebody had to design the structure with wood, and then yes. they would put the chicken wire over, yes. and then we'd be stuffing the tissue paper flowers yeah. in there. You know, pushing. I remember you had to push. So there's four sides to a, a chicken wire hole, right? Or well, five sides. Six. Or however. Okay, yeah. six, yeah. whatever. But we would have to take the little strips of of uh, tissue paper and push them in and out and twist them and then go around the entire circle and yeah. then do. So every wire of chicken wire had to be filled in. And I think the little strips of um, tissue paper, they were like squares that were folded into a rectangle. But they probably were about four inches long, and you stuck them in and then twist them. I mean, that took hours, hours of work. But nothing was as impressive as going to the see the floats in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. There was sure. nothing. I mean, that that's all organic, completely right. like completely changed. No my, tissue paper. No there. tissue no paper on any well, of those flo on wire. those floats. But yeah, maybe. But amazing how they use seeds and flowers and petals and everything organic. Unbelievable. Broccoli. One of the floats we saw one year had broccoli on it. So it's just so cool. But Well, well we digressed off of Motown onto uh, the Rose, Rose well, Bowl Parade. Well, just a quick shift. It reminds me as we're talking about dancing in the streets. The next year's float was Sugar Shack. Oh. And so we used the back of that float from the previous year. Nobody had used it on a farm, so we made a shack, and so it was Sugar Shack was the theme. That's so funny. Yeah. Good times, Denbo. Yeah. Well, this is wonderful, honey. So what should we do now? What else takes our mind off of all of this? Well, I keep thinking that I'd love to cook some of my favorite recipes, you know. What's your best recipe? What do you think your is your best thing that if you had to, take somewhere go somewhere what would you take well it depends on the occasion i suppose i always think of your chili because you make a no bean chili yeah i make a really good batch of chili and my nephews and my brothers love my chili mm -hmm. and you've augmented your chili over the last few years to add in the new mexican chili yeah the green and red chilies powdered from new mexico really do add a lot of depth to the flavor. Mm -hmm. But I've always used a lot of spice, and it's just this is new spice that I can get in larger quantities, which I use. My chili's quite red, 
but it doesn't have tomatoes in it. Right. It's, it's red from the chili pepper. It's red from the chili pepper. I know Joe always liked it. You would call it, you'd make a chili starter for him so then he could add whatever he wanted to it, vegetables and beans and meat or whatever. Yeah. Or sometimes they would make it meatless too, so. Yeah. Well, okay, it, so your chili's meat. wonderful, but tell me something else that you love to make. Well, um, in my last decade or so of working, when there would be a potluck, I would spend a good portion of an afternoon and evening making my very favorite dish to make, aside from chili. And that's my gumbo. Oh, yummy. And And I haven't made it since I met you. I don't think I've ever had it. Well, I'll uh, try to describe the process and the ingredients. First of all, you start with an empty and clean Nesco roaster. You know those big roasters? Yes, it's in our basement. Yeah, we've got one in our basement. <laughs> and you make sure it's clean, the lid's clean, and you set it aside. And then you take the three biggest pots that you've got, and you take the biggest of the three, and you put a little, just a little, olive oil in the bottom. And then you fry some sausage. Andouille sausage is usually the best one to start with because it's got that peppery start to it. And you put in a little bit of bacon or if you've got some ham that's pretty stout, meaning it's not so cooked that it's falling apart, you throw that in the bottom to get a little bit of that smoky flavor. Mm-hmm. And bacon works really good for that. Uh, chopped up as much as you can. And if you can't chop it up enough, you can use a flat bottom spoon to chop it. And after you get that kind of cooked, you get that kind of flavor and the aroma starting to bubble up. You put a little bit of uh, onion and celery and peppers that are all chopped up. You don't have to make them as fine as the onions are on a McDonald's hamburger, but <laughs> chop them up so you could get three or four pieces on a teaspoon. Mm-hmm. So maybe the size of the tip of your pinky. But chop that up and put those in until they start to get translucent. Um, and once you get them translucent... I like to push them to the side with the bacon and the ham and then put in a little bit of flour or cornstarch to make a roux in the bottom. Yeah. And it'll usually start to turn pink and it makes a little thick paste in the bottom. And once you have that thick paste, it's time to get serious. Mm. So... Uh, My favorite gumbo requires that you put in a couple of big heaping tablespoons of filet powder, which is sassafras leaves that are pulverized. And that'll also thicken it up, so you need to have a little bit of water ready to go. And then I'll throw in some chunks. Usually I can't get fresh crawdads or crayfish but I'll throw in a couple of pounds of crayfish and then I'll throw in a couple of pounds of shrimp. I'll throw in two or three chicken breasts 
and cook those in that melange of vegetables. Now, is there water added, like you said, to kind of cover these yeah, you wanna, seafood? Yeah, you want to add water as you're adding these other solid ingredients. Uh, believe it or not, when I was in Chicago, I had a very ample supply of Polish sausage. And Polish sausage can be quite good in mm -hmm, it, too. Because of the garlic. I'm yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Polish sausage. Well, I left out garlic. some of the other spices. Like, I put in a lot of onion powder. And I mean, like, two or three tablespoons about the same amount of garlic powder, or if I had garlic cloves, I would mash up three or four cloves in the bottom as I'm making the bacon and such before I put in the onions and celery and, and peppers. But as you can imagine now, this is starting to fill up that pot. Um, I would also put in a full tablespoon of cayenne pepper. So it would be pretty hot uh, after you add that. And then I would put in about a half of a large bottle of red hot sauce. <laughs> My God. So this, this added... I love red hot. <laughs> this added lots of tang. Yeah, because of the vinegar. Because of the vinegar. But then came what was, to my mind, the secret ingredient, which was cumin. And I would put in just enough cumin... It wouldn't be quite as much cumin as I might put in my chili. It might be a tablespoon. And then I would add about a quarter cup of paprika. And after I had all those spices laid in, a little bit of black pepper, a little bit of black pepper, after I had all the spices in and I had the vegetables and the meats, I'd take the chicken breasts out and chop that up into bite-sized pieces, throw that back in. And then I would start adding canned tomatoes or stewed tomatoes more appropriately because they're smaller pieces. And then I would just start cooking that. I'd have to move the, the meat into different containers. So I'd have at least three burners of the stove going hot with pans on them full of the meat and the vegetables. And I tried to, you know, spread the vegetables and the meat out so it was kind of a third in each of the buckets. And as uh, those began to cook, I would then turn on the Nesco roaster, and as individual pots, usually the smallest would be done first, um, I'd pour it into the Nesco roaster, and eventually I would have it full of that. I'd have it full of What about the okra? I didn't hear you put oh, in the... I love fresh yeah, okra. dare I forget the okra. You use fresh or do you use frozen? I used frozen okra. Nobody knows once it's cooked. Maybe some people do, but I forgot the okra. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, the okra was probably the last ingredient that I'd put in, even frozen. But once the whole batch is completely cooked, and I put it in that Nesco roaster, I would leave it on low and go to bed. And then I would take it to work the next day for the occasion and carry it in in a wooden box that held the Nesco roaster and kept it from, if it slopped out of the edges, because it would usually be pretty darn full. And I would also, oh, I left out one other minor ingredient and that's just like about a cup full of rice that also thickened it up some when you left it cooking overnight so mm -hmm. there'd be a little bit of rice in there 
But uh, this was something that people just raved about. And somebody suggested that we have a fundraising thing. If I would bring that in, they thought they could sell a 12-ounce cup of my gumbo for $5. (laughs) Because it was full of meat, full of vegetables, full of flavor. But I guess it never happened. Well, it sounds yummy, Denbo. I love gumbo. Well, someday after we're uh, more prepared for it, maybe sometime this summer I could make a batch of it. Yeah, because we could make it super healthy. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's got a lot of bad stuff in it. No. We could even, if we didn't want to use rice, we could use like the rice cauliflower. There's not enough rice in it to make Make much difference. difference. No. When when I made it. One cup isn't very much. No, it's not. And that's one cup cooked. Yeah, one cup raw. Sounds yummy, Denbo. Mm. What's your favorite recipe to make? Oh, my gosh. You know, I have a bunch of them. But I'm getting ready for Easter because we're going to be having a family Easter get together. So I am going to make a leg of lamb. And then I'm going to make a whole bunch of vegetables. And um, I'm just looking up. Do I want I'm trying to decide. Do I want the leg of lamb to just be roasted you know, and taken out at 130 degrees or 135 degrees, which would be medium for most people. Or do I want to roast it and then after it's browned, cover it and let it cook until it reaches about 200 or 202 degrees. So then it just like falls off the bone, which is, you know, kind of like more like a braised leg of lamb. So I'm trying to decide which method. Do you have a preference? Well, you know what I always say about your lamb? What? It's not bad. <laughs> You're so silly. I I don't know where you come up with this stuff. That's hilarious. I, <laughs> I hate lamb. I hate mutton. I, I hate. It's not mut- leg of lamb is not uh, mutton. Yeah, leg leg of a sheep is mutton. Don't tell leg me Leg of that. lamb is so yummy. I I'm, hate I'm, it all. Seriously, lamb chops. I told my sister I'm going to get two <laughs> small ones, like four and a half pounds each, and they're going to be. I want mm, a hamburger. Succulent. <laughs> yeah, get, but you know what? Isn't it funny, pl- Dempo? When we were dating, <laughs> I made you my date. What I called my signature dating dish Your was Khan was my Genghis Khan lamb chops. <laughs> yeah. Which was a full rack of lamb chops, and you ate them with a big smile on your face. So I thought you liked lamb well, until I you think, told me you didn't. I think you must must have misunderstood what I meant when I said I wanted to eat your lamb chops. <laughs> and you're terrible. <laughs> well, anyways, I'm going to get spiral ham for you, and it's probably going to be Dearborn spiral Thank ham you. because Thank I like you. to keep it close to the D. So I won't. Go hungry. Right, you won't. <laughs> oh my gosh, you make me laugh. All right, well, more to come. All right, Denbo, thank you for a Mordecai. Thank you for the fun and games tonight. <laughs> we'll pick this up again next week. Oh, I hope so. Okay, I love you. I love you. Kisses. Mwah. No 